0: new faith talk 570 WTBN, pinellas park and 910 wtwd plant city it's time for verse by verse sponsored by verse by verse ministries
1: so he's the creator and yet in coming to earth think about how poor christ became he borrowed everything nothing was considered his own Everything that Jesus used was borrowed, and that's how low he became. He was born into this world. He went from being the creator and owner of everything to borrowing everything.
0: This is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. On today's program, Pastor Steve continues with part two of the message, Christmas Joy. As we celebrate Christmas by giving gifts to one another, Let's stop and consider how much Jesus sacrificed to become the reason for the season. He told a would-be follower, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. He didn't even have a place to call home. Let's give our attention to Pastor Steve now as he continues this study from Philippians chapter 2.
1: And so, with that as our background, we're we're ready to get into our text. And what we see is the first quality of the mind of Christ that Paul presents to us is that the mind of Christ is selfless. It's selfless. He begins in verse 6 by saying who, although he existed in the form of God. Now, Paul starts by taking us back to Christ's existence prior to his incarnation, meaning before he became a man. See, in telling us that Christ existed, in the form of God, Paul is explicitly stating that Christ's existence did not begin at Bethlehem or in Mary's womb. He's telling us that Christ is eternal, everlasting, never had a beginning, never will have an end. He's also referred to in the Bible as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He is eternal. He's always existed. This is precisely what we read in John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus said in John chapter eight before Abraham was, "I am." And he didn't simply mean that he existed before Abraham, although that's part of it. What he was saying is, "I am the I am who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. I am the self-existent one. Nobody created me. I am." that I am. And the form that he always existed in, Paul tells us, prior to the incarnation is the form of God. And what does that mean? What does that mean? You see, when when we think of the word form, we tend to think of the outward appearance, the shape of something, the size of something. But we say that an athlete has good form, meaning that he has good outward mechanics. However, that's not what the Bible means by the form of God, because the Bible teaches that God does not have a physical body. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. He's invisible. So when scripture refers to human parts of the body in relation to God, such as, for example, the eyes of the Lord or his right hand, These are simply qualities of God expressed in human terms so that we can understand something about God. Theologians refer to these as anthropomorphisms, which is a big word that simply means human terms used to describe a divine attribute. So for example, when we read in the Bible about the eyes of the Lord, it simply means that he sees all, not that he possesses literal physical eyes like, like we do. Likewise, when we read about the right hand of God, it is a reference to his divine power, his divine authority, not that God has a physical, literal right hand. So, now that we know what the form of God doesn't mean, what does it mean? What does Paul mean? He existed in the form of God. The specific Greek word that Paul used here for form means, note this, the outward display of one's inward nature. The outward display of one's inward nature or the outward manifestation of what's really on the the inside. Therefore, in reference to Christ, this means that before being born in Bethlehem, Jesus outwardly radiated the glory of God because he is God by nature. As one Bible teacher so aptly put it, he said that Christ possessed inwardly and displayed outwardly the very nature of God. See, what Paul is teaching us by the expression who, although he existed in the form of God, is essentially that Jesus Christ is fully God. That's what he's saying. He's fully God. And that's why before the incarnation, the very glory of God radiated from him for all of eternity. It had been radiating from him. The scripture affirms in many places that Jesus Christ is deity. I just read John chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the Word of His power. That's Christ. And I love Hebrews 1 8. It is actually a quote from. The Psalms, Psalm 45, verse 6, but listen to this. You have God the Father who says to the Son, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You have God the Father addressing the Son, and he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And Jesus himself said in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. They're one. So before his birth into this world, Jesus existed in the form of God, outwardly shining forth the glory of his inward divine essence. But Paul goes on to say that he didn't remain in that form. Notice verse 6 again, Philippians 2, verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, note this, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what does he mean by this? What he means by this is that while being fully equal to God the Father, Jesus watch this did not selfishly hold on to the position of his prominence. In other words, he did not hold the outward manifestation of his deity as a treasure to be grasped and held on. To. That is to say that even though Christ is God, he did not selfishly insist on holding on to his rights as God by continuing to exist in that form that radiated the glory of his divine nature. See, Paul is telling us that the Lord gave up those rights to display his outward appearance as God when he came to earth to be born in a manger. He gave it up. And why did he do such a thing? Why did he give it up? Simply because he loved you he thought of you. He came to earth to secure your salvation. That's why. He did it for your benefit. You see, he willingly gave up his heavenly position as king of glory to occupy a lowly position for you and me so that we might have salvation. I love 2 Corinthians 8-9. Here's what the apostle. Wrote, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. How rich was Jesus? He existed in the form of God. All the angels worshiped and adored him before his throne night and day, his creatures were at his beck and call he spoke and everything in the universe obeyed his voice how poor did jesus become now paul primarily means that his poverty was not that he was financially poor his poverty was that he gave it all up all of his glory that that radiated from him his position to become a man but it's also true as we think about this that as god not only did he radiate his glory, majestic glory, but as creator, he made everything. John 1.3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So he's the creator, and yet in coming to earth, think about how poor Christ became. He borrowed everything. Nothing was considered his own. The room at the inn wasn't theirs, wasn't his. The manger, which was a feeding trough, for animals. It wasn't for him. It wasn't his. It was borrowed. It didn't belong to his family. His very home, as he ministered in Capernaum, was borrowed to use as a base of ministry. The boat that he often got into to preach from because the crowds were so large. That was borrowed. It wasn't his. The upper room that he used to institute the Lord's Supper was somebody else's. The cult that he rode into Jerusalem on wasn't his. It was tied up in a place and he told his disciples, go bring it to me. Even the tomb that he was buried in wasn't his. It belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man who laid him in his own tomb. Everything that Jesus used was borrowed. That's how Jesus became. That's how low he became he was born into this world. He went from being the creator and owner of everything to borrowing everything. Listen, here's Paul's purpose in telling us that Jesus didn't hold on to his position of prominence in heaven. The apostle wants us to understand that the mind of Christ is a selfless mind and attitude. The Lord thinks of others rather than insist on his own rights. That's the point. Paul is telling us that just as Christ laid aside his rights to exist in the form of God, so we, as his followers, need to lay aside our rights for the benefit of others. That's precisely what Paul is saying. And that's precisely what the Philippians needed to hear in light of their disunity problems. And that's what you and I need to hear, so we'll know how to deal with difficult people, challenging people without losing our joy and without losing our sanctification. You see, so often the reason that we have a hard time getting along with others is because we are not willing to lay aside our rights for their sakes. We have an agenda. We have a schedule. And we want to stick to that. We have a cause. We insist on, on getting our way rather than humbling ourselves. And we feel that this is our right. We're entitled to do whatever we want to do. And if they get in our way, then we walk all over them and we don't like them. And when we do that, what we're really doing is we are exalting ourselves over others. And in essence, saying, I'm really more important than you. Not as important as me. Folks, it's this is very important attitude of selfishly insisting on our own rights and getting our own way that leads leads to conflicts with others because what we're really doing is promoting ourselves above others as being more important than they are and in doing this our cause and our rights are the only things that really matter that was exactly the philippians problem and that's exactly why Paul told them, look at verses 3 and 4 again of chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. There's only one reason Paul would say that, because they were not doing that. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others and then he points to Christ and says he's your example follow that listen the self exaltation is the basis for not only wars outside of the church but wars inside the church. James tells us this in James chapter four he very bluntly says in verses one through three what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you James gets right to the to the heart of things it must have been a very Blunt individual, he says, is not the source. Your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. I mean, you you'd fight to the end to get your way is what he's saying. Even if you meant killing somebody, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. I mean, you don't ask God with a humble attitude. And he says in verse three, when you do ask. You don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You're warring, you're fighting, you're trying to get your way and anybody who stands in your way, you're going to push them down and the circumstances allows it, you kill them. Story is told that during the American Revolutionary War, a man on horseback came up to a, a squad of men who were trying to move a very heavy piece of timber. There was a corporal in charge of these men standing by shouting out orders to them, but he wasn't lifting a finger to help these men move this timber. One more man would have enabled them to move it, but he wasn't doing anything. So the man on horseback said to the corporal, why don't you help them? Why don't you do something? Who, me? He said, I don't have to do that. The other man then got off his horse and took hold of the timber and helped the squad of men move it. Then he got back on his horse and said to the corporal, next time you have a piece of heavy timber to move, call your commander-in-chief and get him to do it. And with that, General George Washington galloped off. Now, folks, George Washington did not have to do what he did. He had certain rights as a general, but he did not insist on those rights because he put others before himself in his own right. And that is precisely what God is calling each of us to do. You see, too many Christians are like that corporal. If we don't have to do something, we won't. But the mind of Christ says, I don't have to do this, but I choose to do this for the sake and benefit of others. Hear what God's word says, what Paul wrote to the Romans, what a precious statement. Romans 12, verse 10, give preference to one another. Give preference to one another in honor. In honor of others, you prefer others above yourself. That's the word of God. So let go of your rights and any thoughts of being above others. Look at Christ, see how selfless he was in giving up his rights for you. That's the way of joy. And that's really what Christmas is all about, because the mind of Christ is selfless. But there is a second quality of the mind of Christ. Not only is the mind of Christ selfless, Paul goes on to tell us in this passage that the mind of Christ is also a mind that serves others. It serves others, verse 7, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Paul tells us here that though Jesus always existed in the form of God, in coming to earth, he emptied himself. That's the kenosis. He emptied himself. Now, the question is, what exactly does Paul mean by this? When he says that Jesus emptied himself, what did he empty himself of? He certainly didn't empty himself of his deity, because Jesus never ceased being God at any time, at any time. Listen closely, what Paul means by this is that the way Jesus emptied himself was by taking, note this, taking on the form of a bondservant, which means a slave. This is really paradoxical. He emptied himself by taking on, by taking on himself the form of a bondservant. Emptied by taking on. It is a paradox. That is to say, when Jesus was born, he chose to no longer exist in a manner equal to With God, though he remained God. But he now also became a man who was a bondservant. The word really is a slave, a low slave to others. Jesus was like a king who puts on the garments of a peasant. He's still a king, though by outward appearance you couldn't tell because he now looks like a peasant. You see, when Jesus was born, the sovereign king. Of the universe stooped to become a servant, a mere slave whose role was to serve others. And that is exactly how the New Testament portrays our Lord Jesus. He gave up his rights to become a slave to the needs of people. You read the gospel accounts and you will always find Jesus serving. You will always find him giving of his time, his energy as he ministers to others. He was always available to minister to people, all kinds of people, fishermen, harlots, tax collectors, those who were diseased, demon-possessed, children, parents, and even religious leaders, hypocritical religious leaders. His life was all about serving. He said in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He was selfless. But in being selfless, he was serving others. It wasn't selflessness for the sake of selflessness. He was selfless so that he could serve. Let me show you what I consider one of the greatest passages in all the word of God. John chapter 13. You want to see the humility of Christ? Here's the humility of Christ. John chapter 13. This is part of the, his farewell discourse to his apostles. He's meeting with them. He's explaining to them how he's going to leave them soon. He's giving them final instructions about life without him, at least physically being with them. Notice John chapter 13. Starting in verse one, we read this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the father, having Loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself, put aside his normal clothes, put a an oriental apron around himself, and we read this. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel in which he was girded. you understand that people in that day did not sit at a table like we do? Their, their feet were not politely under the table. They were spread out as they leaned. They didn't have enclosed shoes. They had sandals, and so whatever they picked up from those dusty roads, that's the kind of schmutz that was on their feet. That's right, I said schmutz. And it was normally the role of the youngest or the slave to wash people's feet before they ate. Jesus waited. None of his disciples did it. So he did it. He did it. Notice, you jump down to verse 12, and we have him explaining this. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. If I then, the creator, not the creator, but that's that's the thought here. He's God, the Lord. And teacher washed your feet. You also ought to wash your feet. One another's feet, for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Now, I don't think the Lord was leaving us an ordinance of washing feet. I do think what He was saying in whatever culture you're in, humble yourself and serve others. I, your Creator, your Lord, your Teacher, your Rabbi, your Master, your God, I washed your feet. Doesn't get much lower than that. I washed your feet. Whatever it takes when I'm gone, serve one another with humility. Folks, the point that to go back to Philippians 2 that Paul is making and telling us that Jesus gave up his rights to exist in the form of God by taking the form of a slave is to say that this is the way that that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to follow his example of servanthood, that example set by him. That's the point. I, I quoted before Matthew 20 verse 28, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. That comes at the end of our Lord lecturing his disciples who were arguing over who is greatest to say to them, you're arguing out of pride. It's not a matter of who's over others, of who's highest in my kingdom. What matters is that you're humble like a little child and that you're a servant, you're a slave. The greatest in my kingdom is a slave. The greatest in my kingdom is is the one who serves others. Not who lords it over others. You guys have it wrong. That's the way of the world. The way of my kingdom is just the opposite. It's serving others, and I'm your example.
0: Jesus demonstrated better than anyone that both greatness and joy are found only in serving. And that that is completely contrary to the philosophy of human society, isn't it? You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Thank you for spending this part of your busy Christmas season with us. All of us at Verse by Verse wish you and your family a very blessed and Christ-filled day as we celebrate God's great gift to us, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you missed the start of today's program, or maybe yesterday's, go to versebyverseradio.org to download or stream them. Be sure to join us next time for the conclusion of this message on Christmas Joy. We'll consider some ways that we can both emulate and glorify Jesus with our service to each other. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson.
1: angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus.
0: It's the birth of Jesus Christ,
1: the story of good news and joy to the world. Merry Christmas from Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTC.